Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show post game edition to the podcast. Make sure you're also on YouTube, uh, Oregon Ducks on 24 7 Sports. Go to YouTube there, like the channel, follow us as well on that platform. All right, guys, uh, we are recording this show at 12 51 in the morning on Sunday after Oregon's. 41 to 19 victory over the Arizona Wildcats. A game, Eric, that three minutes in, you leaned to me and said, This is going to be an ass kicking. And uh, if you did not watch the game, you probably thought it was. But if you watched the entirety of this football game, you knew that it wasn't. And I think that's probably the biggest surprise of this game. Scopal Damas on full display early. Clearly, clearly <laughs> just saw what was coming. <laughs> and I don't think I was alone either. No, I thought the same thing. I think we all did. I mean, yeah. Oregon comes down, scores a really fast touchdown. One of the, I think, the longest pass from scrimmage all season to Red. And you kind of think, here we go. This Arizona team stinks. This is going to be easy. Sure enough, Arizona's first play from scrimmage is one of the worst interceptions you'll see a quarterback throw to open a game. It's terrible. Uh, Bennett Williams basically was the only player who was even close to catching the pass. It was a screen pass. It was really just bad. Um, and I guess maybe the first sign this wasn't going to be easy was the fact that they couldn't score a touchdown on that drive yeah. and set up for a field goal. But, you know, this team now, this is kind of the trend. It seems like the first quarter and the fourth quarter, they played pretty well. And there's, for whatever reason, in the middle of the game, it just doesn't seem to work out the same way it does to start and to finish it and give a lot of credit to Oregon for, for getting out quickly in this game and, and even more credit for outscoring Arizona 17, nothing in the fourth quarter. But this was a game where we said we'd measure success in part by who was in the game at the end. And I think I said on this podcast that everybody would be disappointed if in the fourth quarter, Oregon had its starters out there and they had they their start. And yeah. And they, they needed, needed them. them. The whole game. Anthony Brown, was the starting quarterback, obviously, played, and he played all the way into the fourth quarter. And it was until about two minutes to play in the game that Ty Thompson finally saw the field. And that's just not ideal. Um, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear the way Oregon even ran the offense with Ty Thompson out there that they were hoping to get him in the game sooner because they, <laughs> with about 40 seconds to play in a game, they were they up took four shots. They took four shots, and that's a little unusual. Um, Cristobal did say after the game, I asked about that, just like, yeah, that, that was, we got to get as many on-field reps for Ty as we can. So, um, but this was, I mean, this was just not the way you wanted anything to go. We'll go through a bunch of the, the negatives because there's a lot. I think there's some positives too, but all in all, just like last week we were critical, I think at times for how they played. I think this game was just a lot worse overall. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because they forced five turnovers and had two of their biggest explosive plays of the entire season in this game. And yeah, I think everybody's feeling pretty let down by it. Yeah, I don't really know how to feel about this game because there were points in the game, especially at the start, where it was like, okay, this Oregon came out with the hair on fire. Like they're gonna put the, put away this game early. They're gonna try to get everybody they can into the second half. 
Uh, and it just didn't turn out like that at all. Uh, the defense, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau played. Uh, we had it at 13 total snaps. Uh, Coach Cristobal, after the game, said that it was strictly like a pitch count for him, six to ten plays. That's all they wanted him. It looked like he might have left the game with a re-aggravation of his injury, but like, apparently not. We'll, we'll find out eventually, or we'll, we'll never know. But <laughs> no, we won't. We will never know. We, <laughs> Mario will get back to us. We'll find out. We'll find um, out. Yeah, the defensive line couldn't get any pressure on passing downs. Uh, Arizona did do a good job of getting the ball out quick to alleviate that, but uh, uh, Arizona had, for for what seemingly felt like a field day up the middle, just like inside yeah. zone runs. But when you look at the numbers, it's not it's not like that. They had they ran ran the ball over fifty times, fifty times just running the ball, which is absolutely absurd. But it, Oregon just never felt, other than the first ten minutes of the game. They never felt like they were just dominating as they should. And whether that was because of Anthony Brown's inaccuracies or the play calling where Oregon went away from the run for some unknown reason, even though they were averaging like seven yards a carry, we'll never know. Um, the secondary played well, but it was just a very strange game altogether. I don't really know how to feel about it. I think after – before this game on this show, I, I said Oregon would be judged by not necessarily by the score, but just how efficient they were, how um, methodical they were. You know, were they were they good on when they were facing third downs? Were they third and shorts or were they third and longs? And what was it for the defense when they were out there on third downs? And you know, this is the the third game in four that they have been outgained by their opponent. Now I think. Today's game, the turnover certainly played a factor in that. Um, you know, Oregon certainly, you know, with five turnovers, that's going to shorten the field a little bit. Um, but Arizona was seven of 15 on third downs. And of the eight third down plays that they did not convert, they converted half of those on fourth down. They went four for four on fourth downs for first downs. Uh, they ran 88 plays against Oregon. Uh, Ducks had just 55 plays in this game. Um, Oregon's yards per play allowed was probably not – it could have been worse, but it certainly wasn't anything to go home and brag about. You know, Arizona averaged four and a half, almost five yards carry, 4.9 yards per play. Um, they scored on three of their five possessions in this game. And probably that's what the difference was because the other two times that they didn't, Oregon got turnovers. Um, mm -hmm. Like Eric and Jared said, you know, the defense converted five turnovers total. They had one defensive touchdown. Um, Bennett Williams had two interceptions. Roe McKinley had one interception. Uh, you know, so those two guys are just racking up turnovers. Um, points off turnovers for Oregon was really good. They scored 20 of their, 41 points off of turnovers. So like Eric said, like this was a game in which like you look at think a couple things individually and you, you look at this and say it was a good game, but collectively when you look at the whole story, this team is way too inconsistent right now. And and I, I think it was refreshing to hear after Stony Brook that Travis Dye came out and said they were playing down to their competition. I think Today, it's concerning that they're playing down to their competition. And Cristobal even admitted today that 
know, they need to get better in the middle parts of this football game and that their inconsistencies, if they're not careful, could come back and cost them a game. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, it was just not a very consistent effort. I mean, in really any facet, again, there were mountaintops in this game that were pretty dang high. I mean, I, Shoot, I mean, I, the game starts out with the long touchdown pass, and we've been waiting. I know the ball didn't carry a long way in the air, but we've been asking for a couple of weeks, like, where's the vertical passing game? And they connect on a 65-yard play to basically open the game. And it really feels like, hey, this is going to be – and we talked about it. We talked about the possibility of that happening, of, of Arizona selling out and Oregon beating them over the top. That was really the only time that happened all game, though. Yeah. I, mean, I, know, I know they completed a couple that were, were further downfield, but, I mean, there really still is a lack of vertical passing game in this offense. That I find very concerning. Um, defensively, you know, Oregon, a lot of credit for forcing field goals and a couple of turnovers in the red zone. But the fact that Arizona just could kind of seem, we talked about, you mentioned the third down and fourth down conversions, just kind of seemed like there were a lot of times where, where Arizona was able to get out of tough spots with just pretty open, easy passes, you know, to the middle of the field in particular. Um, just so, I think there's a lot of things like that. And, and, and again, I someone posted this, and I just want to bring this up. Um, on the duckterritory.com. Uh, 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 I'm not sure I'm going to be able to credit the right poster here. I'm trying to think of the name, but Oregon this year is now 13. Sorry, has forced 13 turnovers and only given it away once. And that's a plus 12 turnover margin. Today they were five turnovers, forced, didn't allow one. That's five plus five. Kind of think like, I don't, I don't want to doom and gloom a season and suggest Oregon is, is like a paper tiger because I do think they're, they're still a very talented team. But part of me goes like, are the, is the ability for this defense to kind of force all these turnovers and make all these plays and be opportunistic, which, again, is a skill set. It's a trade. I'm not taking away from it and saying it's all luck. But there is a certain level to me of this of, like, you, you remove some of the turnovers in these games, and I just kind of wonder, what do we think Oregon's record would be? Um, I, mean, I think a really big component to the reason they're 4-0 is, is their ability to get off the field on turnovers. Um, but, you know, And, again, I, I, that's a trait, and I think the defense has, has proven. They've got some ball hawks out there two weeks in a row now Three weeks in a row for Verone with an interception from McKinley and two weeks in a row with, with Bennett Williams. And he had a pick six today. Really impressive individual efforts. But, like, collectively, I thought that defense just really had a hard time getting off the field. And and if not for some of those turnovers, you just kind of wonder the way this game goes. Yeah, 100%. I, I kind of want to look more at the offense and look at just like seemingly how inefficient their passing game was today. You know, Anthony Brown – the numbers are, are pretty good. He threw for three touchdowns, had over 200 yards. I think he had 10 completions, which makes it like 20 yards of completion. Like on paper, that looks great. But you know, there, there, there were plenty of throws that he left out on the field, just and a couple of bad reads. Um, Maliki Montevajo had a wide-open touchdown pass that was ultimately ended up in a pass interference against Johnny Johnson, so it worked out to Oregon's way. Uh, there was another play on – a third down where Seven McGee had basically nobody on him running across the middle of the field on a quick quick uh, cut route out of the backfield. But Brown decides to step up in the pocket, rightfully so, but fires it to a covered Terrence Ferguson for an incompletion. Um, there were a couple others as well. Uh, I it, it just seems to be a consistent flaw in Brown's game just not making the correct reads at points and not taking things like from a, a step back perspective, like not thinking things through and just going with his first action. Um, I guess that, you know, I, I would hope that comes with maturity if this was a young quarterback, but Brown's heading into his 
sixth season in college football. So I don't know where that uh, improvement comes from. Um, the running back rotation I thought was really strange. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, you know, Travis Dye only had five rushing attempts for the entire game, and those all seemingly came in like the first first half were all the important ones. Um, it was just a very strange overall offensive game. And the last thing I'll say is is talking about the wide receiver room. Uh, eight different players caught a ball today, which is pretty good. But I'm almost coming to the impression that having that many players catch a ball isn't a good thing. I'd almost rather see a consistent rotation of four to five wide receivers max. Your best dudes get all the playing time. You know, Micah Pittman and Devin Williams today weren't targeted and didn't catch a ball. Johnny Johnson led the team with three receptions. I don't remember it's Devin a, Williams even playing. Like, I remember Pittman playing, but I don't remember Devin Williams playing. I, I think um, Jared brings up a good point and about the receiver rotation. I think this goes to a lot of the guys on offense. Um, I, I think defensively, we, we haven't been able to see a good idea of what this first unit would look like because so many guys have been banged up at various points that they're having to kind of hodgepodge some stuff there. But offensively, it just feels weird that they continue to rotate guys in and out. And, you know, today along the offensive line, it was a situation where Jackson Powers Johnson, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but it wasn't it like he'd be at right guard and then a couple series later, he'd come in and he was on the left side of the line too. Yeah. Um, like it, it just feels really weird the how they're divvying up playing time. And I really think, you know, even though Cristobal, I think he's been asked this a couple times last year and I think this year as well, but I, I really think there's something to the fact that guys – even if they know they're coming in for a series or they're coming off for a series on the third possession or the fifth possession or what have you, and it's predetermined going into games, I think that's really hurting the development of the offense because there's so much interchange. And I'm kind of with Jared where he brings up the point of he wants multiple, you know, four or five guys at receiver to play a majority of the game. Um, I, I think I would probably say six, but that's you're splitting hairs. But I'm with you on the whole like scope of things. Like why why are they rotating so much? And I think that's kind of hindering the growth of this team because while you want to get everyone reps, you're kind of making sure and ensuring that everyone doesn't you know that, that your main guys aren't getting the maximum amount of reps possible. Yeah, it's a tough line to cry. I don't know. I, I, I understand the point. I, I don't disagree either. Like I, I do think it's different than what I'm used to seeing from most college football teams where it's like, it seems like you just kind of roll with your core guys. You know, Oregon legitimately plays close to like 30 guys regularly on offense. Um, maybe more than that. It would actually be kind of interesting to look through how many guys played 20 plus snap counts regularly on offense. It's, it's gotta be it's got to be at least 25, I would think, 20. I mean, it's it's a ton of players playing a lot of snaps. I mean, the offensive – I mean, it's, it's just different. And I and I, 
I, I mean, I also understand the point of trying to protect and, and defend against injuries because we've seen this year more than any other year just how much that can affect a team. Most of Oregon's injuries this year have been on defense, on offense. Um, and so I understand that part. I understand also, you know, when you have such a talented team and you've recruited so well, the, the, just the desire to make sure those guys play and get everybody out there. And I, I do think there's a, a part of this that is, I know that these reps are quote unquote earned and I'm not questioning if they are or not, but a part of me thinks, should you allow so many different players to even really earn playing time or, or should you tighten things up? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think these are, these are the questions we're kind of having to wrestle with here midway through the season, um, you know, four games in, it, it, I kind of feel like I've felt exactly like you guys are feeling a couple of times. And then like in the Ohio state game, and even kind of at times late against Fresno State, kind of liked what they were doing in terms of mixing and matching. Against Ohio State, I actually really liked some of the stuff they did in terms of it. Because and, and I don't know if that's just like, you know, judging, you know, the the ends as opposed to the means of getting there and the fact that they, that was the most impressive outing and that, that it worked. And when they don't play very well, it doesn't work. And if we're just looking at all being, being results-based, but I don't know. I have, a, I have a hard time, like, drawing, like, really, like, coming out on one side of this one because – I, I do think there could be something to it in the offensive line of rotating and getting guys at different spots because they've been really successful, I think, at times doing it. But then there's days like today where I, I just don't I just don't know. It's kind of tough. I mean, for, for me, I, honestly, like, I'd like to segue to this because I think this is the, the real issue. Um, how far can Oregon go with Anthony Brown at quarterback? I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I really – they beat Ohio State. Right. So it's like, OK, they can beat that caliber team with him at quarterback. He hasn't really been fantastic. Besides oh, a pretty strong half against Stony Brook last week, statistically. Like he just hasn't been that great. You know, like you're getting C to B level play at quarterback every week. You're not getting A to A plus level quarterback play. And ultimately to reach the ceiling of his team, you need a little better. Good. Well, the question is, like, can somebody else be better? Can Ty Thompson come in and be better? Can Robbie Ashford or, or Jay Butterfield do it? Because while I don't have an answer, I don't know. None, yeah, none of us know. There, you know, I, I would imagine Oregon was thinking that against Fresno State and against Stony Brook, they'd have more opportunities to really see what those guys can do. And in both of those games, you know, had Anthony Brown not been hurt at the end of the first half against Stony Brook, he'd be starting the second half. So you wouldn't even get that many minutes out of Ty Thompson to begin with. And then today, uh, another another game just like that. You know, you had Anthony Brown until the final two or three minutes left in the game. Yeah. I agree with you. I'm not so sure. You know, you saw Anthony Brown against Ohio State where he was good. He was a very solid quarterback. He was competent all day long. He made the right reads. He did a good job leading the team as someone that, as his stature and his position and his maturity should. But this today was – just indifferent. I still think that he was still hurting after the Stony Brook incident. Uh, we don't know what the injury is. Um, we it might be a leg injury. It might it might not. We have no idea. But so I, I don't think he was at his 100. Um, percent He but he just had a couple plays where you know it was just a bad throw. It was an uh, overthrow or underthrow, just missing a wide open dude where for 15 to 20 yards. And those add up after a while where you maybe after that pass, you fall out on, on third down and six, which Oregon found themselves in plenty of times today, that third down and long range. You're not as confident in Brown as maybe another guy to get you like those eight, nine yards to get you a first down. Because every time he throws, 
on a first down on a play action RPO, it's good because he has that, you know, that inside zone run that they can, uh, Oregon can go for four to six yards every time afterwards. That I, I do think, I don't know how far that can go with him. It's a good question. I do think there is some, to, to, to maybe put the hat on defending Anthony Brown. I mean, he made the plays in the fourth quarter against Fresno State that were needed to lead the offense down to score and get the field goal to tie it, and then he scored the game-winning touchdown against Fresno State. Um, I think against Ohio State, every time there was a clutch situation, he pretty much came through for Oregon um, in that one, even though he completed less than 50% of his passes. Um, against Stony Brook, like you guys mentioned, um, statistically that was by far his best game. And then in this game against Arizona, you know, in the fourth quarter or end of the third quarter, Oregon got the ball back and they were leading by five and he marched the, the team down for a nine play 50 yard drive for a field goal. And then they got the ball back and they went seven plays, 59 yards and they chewed up almost seven minutes of game time between those two drives and they scored 10 points. Uh, he threw a touchdown pass on the money to Spencer Webb for what probably put Oregon ahead for good, even though they scored another touchdown off of Bennett Williams interception. So I do think he has made plays in the clutch when it's been, it's been called upon. He hasn't turned the ball over either, which is um, once he has one. Sure. Fresno say on that screen pass or that swing pass to a running back. Um, that was a bad throw, but he has one. He has one turnover in, in four games. No interceptions. Um, I think that that fumble was kind of like a fluky thing. You don't see it very often, but it is his fault. But I, I do wonder: is the alter, is there is the alternative going to be better? Because we did yeah, see Ben Thompson in like right. four attempts today, and he did not look good. And yep. you could argue, hey, they were just hucking it downfield, trying to just connect on the home run or, or what have you, but he did not look good um, in that one. And I, I think against Stony Brook, he had some bright moments, and he also had some some bad moments as well in that game. So I, I wonder is if Anthony Brown's who Anthony Brown is. I, I don't think all of a sudden we're gonna we're gonna see um, him come out and against the elite teams consistently or even that, you know, power five conference teams, you know, throw for 70% every single week like he did against Stony Brook. Um, he's going to be a, a maybe above line 50% completion percentage thrower, uh, a guy that maybe throws for a couple hundred yards, but probably not 300, um, maybe one or two touchdowns a game. And, and on a good day, he's going to run for a touchdown and, and be in the 50-yard range. And on a bad day, he's going to be about – even um i just wonder can the defense consistently bail you know i don't know if bail out is the right word but can the defense consistently bend and not break because that's what they're doing right now like a lot of people are complaining about the third down conversions and it is a problem it is a concern um but their defense is basically bend but don't break they i think they've given up one play all year of over 40 yards um through the air. They they do not allow 
teams to go over the top. And I, I think their 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 theory is is we're going to make you go the length of the football field. And we believe more often than not, you're going to make a mistake and we'll get the ball back in some way, somehow. And that I think that's going to be the question. Can the defense continue to bend but not break all year? Because if they can, they'll win with Anthony Brown and they'll, they'll, be, a, they'll be a playoff team. But if the defense cracks, can this Oregon team you know, win a shootout? That's going to be the question. I just want to really quickly before we move too far down there, I just want to clarify I'm, I'm, and before it gets misconstrued and I get thrown into the, I want Ty Thompson to start category. Cause that's 100% not what I'm trying to say. Sure. Um, I, I don't think there's a better solution like straight up. I think this is, I, I mean, there might be, but I'm not confident there is. My, my, my point is more like if the ceiling is trying to be really, really good and actually be a, a semifinalist in the playoff, is Anthony Brown good enough to do that? I mean, I, and I don't, I don't think that there's a magic solution and an alternative is going to like, you know, step into place and suddenly it's, oh boy, here's this other situation that works out a lot better. I, I think Oregon, like, I think this is the quarterback for duration, and I think that's kind of is what it is. And and my point after four, my you know, after four performances is he can do some things very, very well. I, I agree, Matt. He's a gamer. I'm really impressed with how he plays in big moments. Like he's come through basically every time he's been asked to, including tonight. Um, there is just a, a sense that I'm getting now for four straight weeks of watching this of the trend to me is there's just an inconsistency on second and third downs, especially where, where he's being asked to try to move the ball down the field. And I just don't – I get to the point here where I don't know if I trust him to carry the offense as much as I trust him late in the game to maybe – manufacture something. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird way of just, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird situation because I, I like Anthony a lot of the time, but there are other instances where I go like, this is just going to be really hard to beat really good teams. I think if he's playing like this and I, and I know I say that after he's beaten Ohio state, but I think if you ask in most people after watching him play today, like would that effort have been good enough to beat, let's say UCLA, I, I think the answer is probably no. And like, it's not fully on his back. There's a lot of other factors, but like, I don't think he played well enough today to, to really consider this a, a team that can go out and beat like the upper echelon of teams, you know, when he's playing at this level. So I just don't know if I've seen enough to really think there's, there's no level. I kind of think this is what he is. So. Yeah. Noah Sewell finished with 14 tackles in this one, one quarterback hurry. Uh, Cristobal did note that he is fine. He did get a little nicked up uh, late in that game. He did leave, but he ended up actually coming back and playing um, and then was pulled once the, the game was pretty much over in the late minutes of the fourth quarter. Um, 14 total tackles, three solo, but is the player of the game, Bennett Williams, like eight tackles, six of them being solo. He has two interceptions. One of them was returned for a touchdown. Um I think Eric and, and Jared, I, I think we can get back to that discussion where a couple of years ago we felt like Oregon's defensive secondary was top three or four in the country. And I know they're giving up a ton of yards. I'm not going to say they're a top three or four secondary in the country right now, but this team realistically could have three or four all-conference secondary players in it with – Bennett Williams, Kale Wright, Rome McKinley III, and potentially DJ James. I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I think they're a very talented group. Um, obviously, Williams and Verone have had unbelievable starts to the season. 
Uh, I think Bennett's best trait isn't isn't his coverage. I think it's his ability to tackle and come down and, and hit somebody on, on a run play. Uh, Verone is just an elite ball hawk. He always will be. He's a hard hitter. He's exactly what you want from your safety up at the top. Uh, Michael had a, had a good night tonight. He had, had a phantom pass interference call and almost was kicked out for targeting. But other than that, it was fine. Uh, I, uh, DJ James has now been kind of burnt for two straight games. Um, not exactly what you want to see. Uh, I still think he's extremely talented and, and, and can turn it around at any moment. Uh, maybe this is just uh, lack of lack of reps compared to Michael Wright and everybody else who've been playing every every game of the year. Uh, but you still have Dante Manning and Triquez Burgess behind him. So in case there's, uh, if, if it gets even more awry, I think he could get, if he gets subbed out, I think Manning or Bridges can do a fine job as well. I, but overall, I think the secondary is, is good. I, we've been saying this for a couple weeks now, that Oregon secondary went against Fresno State and Ohio State, who we've seen the last couple weeks show why they're so good. And they played their game plan of allowing soft coverage against both of those teams. Uh, Fresno State and Ohio State exploited it, rightfully so, but they still didn't take the top off. Uh, no team has really taken the top off of Oregon, but the consistent finding of the soft spots and zones against Oregon's defense has been more of an issue than I anticipated. They, it's seemingly like on every third and short or third and six today for uh, Arizona, they were able to find a route or something that'll go eight yards and then it'll turn into 11 with some run. So I think it's something that's worth monitoring. It wasn't a great – you could say it was a great game for Oregon just because of the five picks, but I wouldn't put it that. I'd say it was a good game for them. How, how, how much do you think, though, like some of the secondary issues, I think on third down in particular, is just like a lack of a pass rush? Um, this is a game where – I think it's a lot. Totally. I, I, and this is where it's like getting a healthy KT feels really pivotal. This is a, a team in Arizona that was like one of the worst in the country at protecting the quarterback, and yet Oregon got one sack all game. Yeah. Um, and it was Trevin Mai in, the, I think, third quarter? Fourth quarter. Fourth quarter? Yeah, it was late. I mean, so it, they, can't, they can't get to the quarterback. And that's – and I understand from the personnel perspective, like, Thibodeau is not totally effective. He's still kind of dealing with some stuff. Swinson isn't on the field. Those I would say those are your two best pure pass rushers on your roster. So I understand those guys aren't available. I, I just thought this Arizona offensive line, which Northern Arizona was able to beat quite a bit, which BYU and San Diego State embarrassed, I, I kind of thought would be able – I thought this Oregon's defensive front would be able to get there more often. They did have four quarterback hits. Several of the interceptions came off of some sort of pressure, whether it be internal mm-hmm. or, or off the edge. So, like, credit on those plays. I'm not saying they didn't get up the field at all. But at a certain point, you go, this is a front that I think has some players that are able to do a little bit more than, than what they're doing. And people will be critical of the secondary for, like, what, what Jared brought up, some of those soft zones and easy completions. I think most of those or a lot of those would be harder plays to be made if there was just a little bit more pressure. And – I'd like to see a little bit more aggressiveness from a defensive play calling perspective. I didn't feel like they brought more than three to four all that often. I know they did. I'm not saying they didn't at all. Um, we'll go back and watch. But just from like my perspective watching it, kind of felt like they were a little bit conservative against an Arizona offense that obviously it worked because they won the game. But like an offense that just like doesn't have any confidence at quarterback and has a bad offensive line, just kind of felt weird they didn't get there more often. Is Let's look at this for a second, and then we'll get off. Um, 
Oregon still won this game by 22 points. Um, they're 4 and 0 and they're first in the Pac-12. They're the best record in the conference. They're the highest ranking in the conference. And the fourth week of the college football season, six top 25 teams lost, two top 10 teams lost. Other top 10 teams that played today struggled. Oklahoma only beat West Virginia uh, at home by three points, uh, 16 to 13. Um, Colorado State almost beat Iowa at Iowa. They lost 24 14 to the Hawkeyes. Penn State played Villanova at home and they won 38 to 17. Clemson went on the road to NC State and they lost. Texas A&M lost to an undefeated Arkansas team that was 16th in the country. And my point is, is a lot of teams in the top 25 lost. Mm -hmm. And some top 10 teams lost. And other teams are not looking good. Uh, I think it's clear Oklahoma the last couple of weeks is not a – they are far from being a top five team. They are ranked that high because of name and because of preseason ranking only. Um, are, Are we buying that Oregon is the number three team in the country right now I wrote an article on DuckTerritory.com saying, like, we've seen part, we've seen spurts of it where they truly look like a top five team, a top three team in the country. But their issue has been the lack or the, the inconsistencies of playing down to their competition. I mean, they have said it themselves that they've played down to this competition. So is Oregon overrated, or do you feel like looking around the conf- the country in college football, there's Alabama, there's Georgia. And then there's a big gap in between the next tier of teams, and Oregon's the best team in, in that second tier. I mean, I, I, I saw a lot of the narrative being – oh, was that? No, no, you go. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say uh, I saw a lot of the narrative being pushed on social and on Duck Territory of like, oh, this does not look like a top five team. Give me teams that are better. Give me teams that are playing better. There's just not a lot of them right now. Um, and I'm not discounting the fact that – that maybe this doesn't feel like in a traditional year, a top five team, maybe that's fair. Um, you know, this is a really bad Arizona team in Oregon. This is a team that hadn't, Arizona's lost 16 straight games. They just lost to an FCS team and Oregon was up five in the fourth quarter. That happened, right? Like you can't discount that. That's not a thing right. you expect to see from a team ranked third nationally. Like no one, no one would argue that at the same time, like, like Matt just ran through on a lot of that. And you, if you want to look deeper at some of the resumes, like there's more evidence of it. Like, there's not really like a clear team that I would say like certainly is better based upon results this season. Like if you want to look strictly at results, like Oregon's beaten two ranked teams. Um, they've won their other two games by at least three scores. You can argue that neither were totally that impressive because there were moments in both where the game was closer than you'd like at that point in the game. But I I have a hard time saying like, like this sort of team is overrated and doesn't belong in the top five just because I haven't really seen anyone else separate themselves from Oregon right now. I, I, I mean, Alabama and Georgia look like the class of the country, and even Alabama had hard times last week with Florida. And even Georgia, by the way, we hype up this win over Clemson. How good is Clemson? Like, what do we think of Georgia? I mean, I think there's there's not a team out there even right now. Like, I think Clemson and Georgia – or, sorry, Clemson and – not Clemson. Clemson stinks this year. Georgia and Alabama. Like, I think we think they're the best two teams in the country, but, like, even they haven't looked like invincible. I think this is a year where it's just like pretty up and down. And so Oregon fans are rightfully kind of frustrated, but like to suggest this team's not deserving of its ranking, I think is kind of unfair. I agree. I think it's, uh, it's way too early to really have that 
kind of discussion. I mean, if you look at Oregon's wins with a win over Fresno State and Ohio State, literally what team in the country has better wins? Because now Georgia's win over Clemson doesn't matter. Literally just a useless win against a team that's in the top 17. Um, we'll, we'll eventually find out how good this Oregon team is. I think there's still some, – some part of me still feels like they're working out through the kinks and they might actually come together and – you know, file down just a consistent lineup and everything like that come week five or six. But it's it's hard because this year in college football is a mess. Just like look at look, look at this week. It's an absolute it's just mayhem right now. You know, we, we can't make polarizing topics at all, but basically on a week to week basis. Last week we had Penn State have an unbelievable game against Auburn where everybody came out of that like Penn State, this is a top 10 team. They beat a top 15 Auburn. This was a great game. Went over the SEC. Auburn almost loses today. What are we doing? To Georgia, so, to Georgia Southern. To Georgia State. Or Georgia Southern, excuse me. Where they were down like 24 to 12, just something crazy like that. They ended up coming back to win, but, but I digress. This is a very strange year of college football. We have – probably one team that everybody would not like to play and that's Alabama. I, I wouldn't want to play Georgia. So make that too, but everybody else is like fair game. There is that huge gap that Matt talked about where it's Bama, Georgia, and then Oregon. And I still think that if Oregon played either of those two, it would be a good game. However, I do think that at one point, I think one of the, one of the Southern teams would just steamroll Oregon probably in the second half because of their just talent and size. But then you go down the list and it's like, okay, who else can put up any type of competition? Oregon's already done that. They went on the road, played number three Ohio State, and won without like two of the best defensive players. So to to overhype them is easy at this stage in the in the season, but it's also very easy to say that they don't deserve that, even though they've already shown on paper and and through their through their play that they do deserve to be a top five team right now. Can I just make one more point? We can get out. I also think we it's really hard to judge Oregon and what its ceiling is as a team without having seen Kayvon Thibodeau play more than a quarter or so. I mean, he's played like maybe like a total snap count of like one and a half quarters through yeah. four weeks of play. So maybe. let's see what it looks like when arguably the best player in college football is available for a full game. I mean, I think that's a really big component that everybody's frustrated it's it's disappointing how these last couple of games have played out maybe in terms of you want it to be cleaner but like at this end of the day Oregon's 4-0 going into a game with Stanford and they haven't really had their best player play more than a quarter right yeah I mean more and more undefeated teams um are getting knocked off more and more top 25 teams are getting knocked off and while we've been on this podcast today Tonight, whatever you want to call it, um, we've been on throughout the last couple of weeks talking about it. Oregon is blowing out their opponents. Who cares how they're getting there? The scores are showing 41-19, 48-7, a top three win at Ohio State, and then a 31-24 win against a Fresno State team that's now in the top 25 and probably the Mountain West conference favorite to win their league and and some people are pushing them as a dark horse to make a new year six bowl game so they've played two really good teams they've won both of them they've blown out two really bad teams and the journey to get to those blowouts have just unfortunately taken 
longer than it needed to. But the reality is they've now played 33% of their regular season schedule. And in three of the four games, they have had big stretches of, of time where they've not looked good. And at this point in the season, I think it's fair to say you're, you're close to who you are going to be this season. There's still time to make big leaps and big jumps and improvement, but you've played over a third of, you've played a third of your season so far. And it, time is running out to come out and say that, well, they're still working through the kinks. They're still, you know, improving. They're, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to make a big jump here in a couple weeks in time. Like time is running out because they play Stanford this coming weekend. They play Cal the following Friday after a bye week. And in three weeks, Oregon will have played half their season. And at that point, you are who you are. And if if it's Kayvon Thibodeau and other players are still dinged up and without injury, well, you're kind of – that's who you are right now. Like, you can't fall on the crutch that you have injuries because this is who you are. Because, I, I, Eric, I do agree with you, though. I'm not trying to say you're wrong because I, I do agree. Like, if Thibodeau is healthy, maybe this t- this pass rush is there and the third down conversions don't happen as often – and the ball gets back into the offense's hands, and, and with more opportunities, they score more, and, you know, it's, it's a trickle-down effect. But we're getting to that point where it, you are who you are, and you're running out of time to make some improvements. It's going to be interesting to see what falls out of this week leading up to Stanford. We'll be there, um, all three of us, in Palo Alto for that football game. So make sure to be locked in on the podcast, on DuckTerritory.com, and also go to YouTube. Follow us there, uh, Oregon Ducks on 24-7 Sports. And until then, until the next show for this podcast, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.